gets me, it takes me back a few years, a little to eight mile for any of you, if you wanted to. You guys, it's week seven of Summer of Connection. It's family day. We're all together. There's so many generations in this room, and I just think that's so cool. So I want to do a little something to kind of shine the light on how many generations we have in this room. So here's what I would love for you to do. If you have a baby in your arms, would you stand up? A baby in your arms, would you stand up? Oh, look at all the babies. Okay, here's the deal. If the baby is older than six months, would you sit down? Older than six months, sit down. Okay, we got... Okay, older than three months, sit down. Okay, is this the only baby? How old is your baby? Three weeks. Oh my word, so little. Okay, here's the deal. I, I need you to know that time goes fast and they grow up before you know it. So we got her some reading glasses because she's gonna need those really soon. All right, okay, so that's the, th we got three weeks. And then let's see, now I wanna celebrate those who are the wisest in the room, who have been enjoying this planet for the longest. We're, we're gonna avoid saying oldest. We're just gonna say they've been alive the longest. So if you are over 75, would you stand up for us? Over 75. Okay, if you are in your 80s, will you stay standing? In your 80s, stay standing. What about over 85, would you say standing? Okay, we got a couple. If you are in 90, would you say standing? Right here, oh my word. Oh my word, we're so glad. Okay, here's the deal. The young people are into these things called fidget spinners. <laughs> And we want you to have a couple because we think you need to stay hip to reach the young people. So we're gonna, also I'd like you to be my mentor. So Connor's gonna bring you some fidget spinners. Wow, in this room, how awesome. We have three weeks and we have 90 in this place together. What a cool thing. This is, this is what the family is all about. What a cool thing that church does for us. Over the summer, we've been looking at the life of David, talking about David. We've talked about David and Goliath, and we've talked about David and his relationship with Saul, and we talked about David becoming king. And today we're going to continue this series, and today we're looking at the story of David and Mephibosheth. That's right, Mephibosheth. Um, if you didn't know, when I was in elementary school, I had to take speech classes so I'm super excited that someone picked me for Mephibosheth. Um, so for my sake, I was like, okay, let's give him a nickname, you know, let's make this easier on Neely so she's not super nervous the whole time. Well, it turns out in the Bible, he actually does have another name, and that's Maribel. So also doesn't make me feel any better about myself. So we're going to call him Fib. All right, so Fib. <laughs> I feel comfortable, Fibby, Fibius, you know, whatever, just Fib, okay? So Fib... He is the son of Jonathan, and we talked about Jonathan and David's relationship a couple weeks ago, but Jonathan and David were really close friends. They were the best of friends, and Jonathan did a lot of good things for David. He protected David when Jonathan's father Saul was trying to kill him. 
they have this really special friendship. And so when David became king, Fib was only five years old. And he became king because Saul and Jonathan died. He was the next in line. And so here's the deal. During this time, whenever a new political power would take over, they would come in and they would wipe out the whole family of the old, fa- uh, old power. They would just come in and completely annihilate them, wipe them all out, destroy them. And this was how they would prevent an uprising. So the, the understanding is that David would come in and he would wipe out Saul's family. And so we find ourselves in 2 Samuel 4.4, and this kind of explains it a little bit. It says, Saul's son Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. He was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. Okay, so here the new leadership has taken place. The old family is literally on the run for their lives. And Fib's nurse, she picks him up. She thinks she's rescuing him, but what does she do? She drops him, and he's crippled. And can you imagine, in one moment, in one fleeting moment, he went from royalty, being in line to be the king, to being a crippled orphan who was dependent on somebody else, hiding from the power. That was his life. And I was, talking, I was telling this story to some kids and some, to some teenagers, and by some, I mean my kids. And um, I was asking them, how would this story, how would this make you feel if this happened to you? And these are their direct quotes. Um, I think I would feel sad, kind of upset. I guess I would try to move on. I'd feel real frustrated. So I feel like you can see that my kids get the gravity of the situation. (laughs) Uh, Try to imagine, try to empathize, try to be there. Imagine your future is bright. Everything is going your way. You are living in luxury. That is your life. Things could not be better. And then in a sudden moment, all of it is gone. All your power, all your hope for the future is gone. Mephibosheth is now powerless. He's crippled. There's not many societies then or even now that have, are good at honoring those who are, who are lame and crippled and broken. Imagine going from all of that to this moment. And what does David do? What's surprising? What does David do? He remembers two promises that he made. The first one, he made a pack. He had a pinky swear with Jonathan. Jonathan and him were the closest of friends, and they, in their final moments together, Jonathan had risked his life to protect David. He said, you you must go on the run. You must hide. My father wishes you harm and wishes to kill you. And so he tells David, go. But in that moment, this is what Jonathan says to David. It's in 1 Samuel. He says, at last Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. The loyalty, the promise between us and our children forever. In this moment, Jonathan is showing a deep kindness to David, right? He's showing, I mean, Jonathan is in line to be the king. It would have been so easy for Jonathan to betray David. But instead, he protects him. He gives up his own power and his own position to protect David. And so they made a promise to each other. 
Jonathan shows kindness to David, and David agrees that, yes, I will show kindness to your future children. But then we have this moment where David makes a promise to Saul. Saul, when he finally realized that David was going to be king, he says to him, now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, when you become king, you will not kill my family and destroy the line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. So David honors Saul. And, and this, this one is kind of interesting to me because here literally Saul is hunting down David, trying to destroy and kill him. And David, in this moment, he honors him with a kindness and says, yes, I will keep that promise. I will not destroy your family. And maybe David could make that promise because he already made it to Jonathan. But it's, it's, for me, it's one of the most confusing to understand is why was David so gracious, so kind to Saul? So then we fast forward, right, to 2 Samuel. David has become king. He's had some great success. He's won a lot of battles. Last week we talked about he returned the ark to Jerusalem successfully. He's done really well as king. But then he has this moment, and we find it in 2 Samuel 9.1. He says this. One day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? One day. David like wakes up. And he has this light bulb moment of like, I want to show kindness. I remember my promise. So he summons one of Saul's servants. We can follow it along in the passage here. It says, then, king, then the kings asked him, is there anyone still alive from Saul's family? If so, I want to show God's kindness to them. Ziba replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is alive. He's crippled in both feet. Where is he? The king asked. In Lodabar, Ziba told him, at the home of Makir, son of Aimel. So David sent for him and brought him from Makir's home. His name was Mephibosheth. He was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. And when he came to David, he bowed low to the ground in deep respect. And David said, greeting Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth replied, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness, kindness to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. See, see, in this moment, Mephibosheth has no idea what's going to happen. Like, he thinks he's probably going to die. So what does he do? He gets down low on the ground, and I imagine, that's hard for me to do, I imagine someone who's crippled in both feet to get down low. And what does he do? He pledges his life. He says, my life, my service to you as the king. But David responds with this statement I love. He says, I intend to show you kindness. I intend. My intent is for good and for kindness. And what does he do? He gives him all the property that belonged to Saul. And then he says, listen, not only am I going to give you all your inheritance, but I am going to invite you to sit at my table, to sit with me, the king, and dine with me. Again, in one moment, a crippled orphan in hiding who is powerless, he regains all of his inheritance and finds himself eating with the king. Because why? Because David had the intent to be kind. 
And as I read this passage over the last few weeks, I found myself discovering there's like a lot of truth in this little story. It's 13 verses and there's so much truth. There is the symbolism of, this, of the broken being invited to the table of the king right? It's foreshadowing of a king that will come and he will take the broken, he will take the orphans, and he will invite them to his table. It also, the story is so powerful because really it's about the power of keeping a promise, how important it is to keep a promise. And then, and then there's this reality that the reason Mephibosheth has, is sitting at the table is because of who his father is. And isn't there a powerful truth about who our father is? and what that allows for us. There's so much goodness in this story. But today, I kind of want to keep it simple, and I want to focus on just uh, this word that appears four times in 13 verses, four times, and that's the word kindness. Because when uh, he could have, David could have wiped out a line, no one would have accused him of being cruel. No one would have uh, been angry with him. No one would have thought he was out of line. That was a social norm. And so everybody was waiting and expecting David to do this. But instead, David chose kindness. He chose kindness. Now, when I was in elementary school, I was the queen. Literally the queen of Cottonwood Elementary. I think it had a little to do with the fact that I beat a boy up. But um, I don't know. I was, and I was pretty good at kickball. So, you know, those two things together, I was like ruling Cottonwood Elementary. But then I went to middle school, and um, I don't need to tell you this, but middle school is like really bad. <laughs> it's really hard. There's, it's not good. Middle school is not good. Um, like, so many, everybody's coming together to a new school. Um, people are going through these awesome changes in their body. So fun, right? And um, it's really cool. All these hormones things are happening. And um, I'm what you call a late bloomer. So I was not doing those cool things. And I was a pretty easy target for being picked on. And I have this vivid memory of being in one of my English classes and overhearing some kids talking about me and saying some really mean and horrible things about me. And I just was struggling in middle school. Some stuff was happening at home. And so I didn't have a mom really kind of coaching me through some of that stuff. So I was like, middle school was rough, really rough. And then the this girl came along. Her name was Joanne. And Joanne was the coolest. I mean, she was the coolest kid. She was like, everyone loved her. She was so nice. She was the captain of the volleyball team. She'd go on to be homecoming queen. She was the, she was the, the greatest. And Joanne, for some reason, decided she was going to like be my friend. I think I became maybe her little project. I think that's what it was. We lived a few houses away from each other, so maybe I, it was convenient for her to pick me. I don't know what it was, but she kind of showed kindness to me, and she chose me. I mean, she went, like, for a high schooler, she went above and, the, above and beyond. Like, she would write me cards to tell me things that were cool about me. Um, she one day made it National Neely Day, and I can't believe I don't remember what day it is because we'd still be celebrating it, but I can't remember. <laughs> And she like gave me candy and matching earrings with her. And I was a nerd. Like I was weird. I was awkward. And this really cool girl was so kind to me. She was so kind to me. And I, I think that's what we need right now. When I think about the current state of our world, 
When I think about the schools that our students, our kids attend, when I think about our neighborhoods and our communities, when I think about what's happening online in the world, when I think about our country, what I think would change this world is kindness, is kindness. As one author explained it, he said, there are three things that are important in a human life. The first is to be kind, the second is to be kind, and the third is to be kind. In a time with so much anger and fighting and hatred, what this world needs is kindness. Specifically, what David says here in verse 3, he says, God's kindness. So what is God's kindness? What does this word mean? I went to the Bible dictionary and I wanted to look it up. What was the definition? And it talks, it talks about kindness. Actually, the word it uses is loving kindness. But this is, the, this is the definition. It said kindness. The loyal love that maintains relationship through gracious action in times of need. And I think it could be summed up this way. Kindness is love in action. Love in action. David chose God's kindness. He, sho- he chose to give it because he had experienced it himself, right? David had experienced a constant, a loyal love. He had experienced a God who wanted a relationship with him. He had experienced a God who continually acted on his behalf. So David knew how to give kindness because he had received kindness. Hallelujah. He had gotten it. And this kind of kindness is what the world needs so desperately. And I wanted to be clear, like, I think one of our issues is our misconception is, like, kind is not nice. Okay, nice and kind are not the same thing. And this is what I mean, like, nice, a nice person will talk to you the whole time you have a booger hanging out of your nose. And they won't say anything. They might, like, a really nice person might do this. But they won't say anything. Or like you have huge spinach in your teeth. And they'll just keep having this dialogue with you. And you're like, you walk away and you look in the mirror and you're like, what? Ah, I trusted that person, you know? That's a nice person. A kind person is like, hey, Neely, before you go on with this super sweet story that's kind of boring, um, you have something hanging. You know, like that's a kind, I mean, that's a difference. I mean, it's just starting. It's just a starting point. It's a little different. Nice is thinking. You're thinking about being loving, but kindness is doing the work of it. Pastor Gary said that when he lived in Minnesota, he became familiar with a common term there. It's called Minnesota nice. It means people will say what they think you want to hear. They're slow to confront you, but while all the while in their heart and their mind, they're totally disagreeing with you, and they're super passive-aggressive towards you. Um, our middle school pastor, she's from Kentucky, and I know when she's doing this because she says, oh, bless your heart. You know, like, she doesn't mean bless my heart. She's trying to sound nice, but that's not what she really means. You know, like, we, there's a difference. There's a difference. Luckily, she doesn't say it that often, so I feel pretty good about myself, but it happens. Nice is like you smile at the new kid at school. Or nice is like you see the na- new neighbor from across the street and you give a nice wave. You know, that's nice. Kind is saying, hey, I noticed it's your first day. Why don't you sit with me at my table today? Kind is going to the door and saying, welcome to the neighborhood. I, 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 I would have made you cookies, but I don't do that, so I bought some for you. But I'd love to have you over. You know, that's the difference. That's the difference. See, the world doesn't really need us to be nice people. They, they need people of every age, every generation to say, I'm willing to give kindness like David gave kindness. 
So how do we do that? How do we give kindness like David did? How do we give it generously? And the first thing is this, is remember the ways you have experienced God's kindness. Last week we took communion together to remember the sacrificial kindness that Jesus showed us by dying on the cross. But there is so much more than that to the kindness of God. He, sends, he has this promise that he will comfort us in the midst of our pain and our suffering. We will know that we are not alone, that we have a God who is with us and for us. That is kindness. He has words that speak life to us, to freedom over us, hope over us when we have felt shame and when we have thought that there is nothing and that we thought we were lost and that we were dying. He has given us more. The New Testament is filled with passages about God's kindness. Acts 14, 17, Romans 11, 22, Galatians 5, 22, Ephesians 2, 7, Titus 3, 4, and on and on. One of my favorites is Romans. It tells us that God's kindness, his, his loyal love, his gracious acts towards us are what lead us to repentance. His kindness is what leads us to repentance. It's not the fear of hell. hell. It's, not the, it's not God's wrath. It's his kindness. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And then Paul, he talks about this idea that God's kindness comes to him when other people carry his burden. That Paul experiences God's kindness through others. So he's given us each other. He's given us a three-week-old, and he's given us someone who's lived for 90-plus years. This is a gift to us. He's given us his creation. His creation is an act of kindness towards us. I think one of the kindnesses we don't talk about enough is that he has given us a purpose. To live without purpose and meaning is hopeless and leads to despair, but God, the creator of the universe, who could really do whatever he wants right now, he could step in and he could resolve it all. He said, no, I wanna give you purpose and I wanna include you in what I'm doing in the work of the world. So remember God's kindness, set aside a time, a, set some time aside to write it, to, to think on it, to reflect on it, to meditate on it, to just sit and remember God's kindness. Amen. And then the next thing is you pass on this kindness to those around you. David experienced it, so he passed it on. He used his position and his power to pass on kindness to someone else. And every one of us, whether you're in second grade or you're 90 years old, you can look around and you can see someone who needs kindness. Parents, uh, one of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, she says this, first and foremost, we need to be the adults we want our children to be. We, we should watch our own gossiping and anger and we should model the kindness we want to see in them. Amen. See, Paul reminds us that kindness is an evidence of God's spirit living in us. I want you to understand this. If it's evidence of God's spirit living in us, you know what that means? It means that kindness is so difficult, it's so at times challenging, that we need to live and lean into the Holy Spirit to even do it. That it's not weakness. Kindness is not weakness. It's not saying, yeah, like, walk all over me. Do whatever you want. I'm here. I'm here to serve you. That's not kindness. Kindness is so radical that it requires you to look at someone who has hurt you and say, I forgive you. 
It requires you to, to look at someone and say, you know what, your need is greater than my need, so I'm going to do whatever it takes to meet your need. Kindness requires humility. It requires us to sacrifice. I think, I love that some of us have bought coffees for people behind us and as an act of kindness. And I, I want to say, I think that's a great first step. But kindness, like this radical kindness that David showed, is going to require so much more. It's going to require us to lean into the spirit. Kindness like this means inviting someone to the table, our table. It means being willing to look around and say, who's not included? Who's on the outside? Who's in hiding? Who needs to be invited to the table? And that requires that we have eyes to see it. And so I want you to watch this video of the kid president. I think he's got some good things to say. I think the world needs a pep talk. I need you to look, people. Look with your eyes. This is where we live. It's a good place. Look around you. What do you see? Volcanoes, sunsets, Justin Timberlake's teeth. Those things are perfect. But I'm telling you, world, we got some work to do. Open your eyes. How cool is it that we're all alive on the same planet at the same time? I think it's time that we start making cool stuff happen. On the planet we live on, there's poverty, hunger, injustice. The world is full of awesome. It's also full of not awesome. On the planet we live on, there's also potential possibilities. Puppies. Yeah, I said puppies. Ah, I'm getting distracted. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we're all here. We're all born to make a difference. It can be easy to get overwhelmed. Feel like you can't do anything. But that's why we have each other. Well, there's lots of bad stuff in the world, but there's also you. And there's me. Time to set some goals. I'm not talking squad goals. I'm talking global goals. All of y'all, the whole world, is my squad goals. What the world needs is love. And also end to extreme poverty. Eliminating inequality. Fixing our planet. That's why we got you. That's why we have each other. That's why we got goals. Global goals. Together, we're louder. Together, we're brighter. Together, we're gooder. That isn't a word. Global goal number four, education. Talking about school, I gotta tell you something. School cafeterias can be scary places. Where do I sit, where do I not sit? Where's the cool table? Let me tell you something. The cool table is wherever you are. In the lunchroom of the world, there shouldn't be a cool table. Nope. The whole lunchroom should be one big cool table. A big table. A table where everybody's invited. Where everybody has a seat. Where everybody has enough. That's the kind of table that I want to be at. That's the kind of world I want to live in. That's the kind of world that we're building because of people like you. Yeah, you. I'm talking to you. Let's live in a world where awesome is celebrated every day, where people treat people like they're people. Those are my kind of people. So get out there. And if you find yourself feeling like it's too tough, remember, you're not alone. There's lots of people at the table, and it's a cool table. Open your eyes. You'll see. Every one of us probably has a story about a school cafeteria. Probably every one of us knows that feeling of walking in and feeling like, where do we belong? And I cannot believe, I, I believe with all my heart that the church is the place that says, look, there's room at our table for everybody. Come on over, come sit with us. It just requires us to have eyes to see it. 
Last year, my family, we took a road trip to Ohio. Um, and while we were on the trip, we decided we were going to listen to an audio uh, book together. We picked this one, uh, this young adult book called Wonder. Um, and it's an amazing book. It's actually coming out in a movie in November. But it's this amazing story about a middle school boy who has facial abnormalities and what life was like for him, what it was like to show up at middle school, to sit at the walk into the cafeteria. And it's, it's beautifully written. It's so good. But the point of the book really is to teach kids about kindness, to teach them what kindness is, to teach people that, you know what, being friendly, it's not enough. You actually have to be a friend. And we listened to this book, and we, we laughed so much. We cried together. We just had a really great time as a family. And it reminded me of this passage in Proverbs. This book, it said, this is what the passage in Proverbs said. It says, never let loyalty and kindness leave you. Tie them around your neck as a reminder. Write them deep within your heart. Then you will find favor with both God and people, and you will earn a good reputation. Tie it around your neck. Hide it in your heart. Bury it there. Let kindness be your guide. There was a follow-up book to this wonder called Augie and Me. Augie's the name of the boy. And I gave it to my son. And I said, uh, like, gave it to, to him for Easter. He read it two days really fast. He said, Mom, you've got to read it. So I took it on the airplane with me, which turned out to be a bad call because I was the woman in the back like, oh, God so good. It's so powerful, you know, like, so like what we can learn, you know, like it was so good. But this is actually one of the lines from the book. It says, if every person in this room made it a rule that wherever you are, whenever you can, you will try to act a little kinder than necessary. The world really would be a better place. And if you do this, if you act just a little kinder than is necessary, someone else somewhere, someday may recognize in you in every single one of you, the face of God. Amen. If we chose kindness, if everyone in this room chose to be a little kinder than necessary, how we would point people to a God who is so kind. Amen. Imagine with me, our schools, kids, students, would you imagine with me your school, families, people who live in apartments and condos and neighborhoods, would you imagine your communities? What would they look like if we chose kindness, this radical kindness, to invite someone to the table who thinks they don't belong? What would it look like? What a better world it would be. And what I wanna do is I, I wanna pray what I call a prayer of imagination over us. And what that means is this, is that I believe that when we begin to imagine what that better world could look like, what our schools could look like, what our communities could look like, what this church could look like if we were kinder, I wanna pray what that imagination over us, that we begin to see it in new ways, we begin to uh, see opportunities, conversation, people in a new way because God has given us his imagination. And so will you join me, will you stand with us and join me in this prayer of imagination? Jesus, we are so grateful for your kindness that you have loved us, 
that you have pursued a relationship with us, that you have always chosen to act graciously towards us in our times of need. And God, we are thankful for your kindness. But now we pray with imagination and hope for what the world could be if we chose kindness, if we chose to give kindness like David did. Would you inspire us? Would you give us eyes to see the world differently, to see the world and our interactions with people as opportunities to give away kindness? Would you help us to see our neighborhoods as a place that we can reflect who you are and reflect your kindness? God, I can imagine schools that become known for their kindness because of one student in this room. I can imagine uh, Microsoft becoming this place of kindness because one adult in here says, I'm going to choose to be kind. I can imagine a world that comes to you because it's your people have said, we'll choose kindness. We believe that and we hope for that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Would you join me in singing about God's kindness?